Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Hans Christian Mahler, who's the CEO at 1023 Health. Dr. Mahler is the CEO and board member at 1023 and previously led the Drug Product Services Business Unit at Lonza. He's also worked in various leadership roles at Roche and Merck. He has extensive expertise in formulation development, process development, validation, packaging, device development, and integration of sterile manufacturing, as well as regulatory submissions. With a PhD in toxicology, he is a never-ending learner. He serves as editor for the Pharmaceutical Research, Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences, AAPS Open Journal, and the PDA Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences and Technology. If that was not enough, he has also published more than 120 manuscripts and is the co-inventor of more than 50 patents. I really enjoyed meeting Hans Christian today. Um, I reached out to him a few months back when I saw an article about his organisation, 1023, which seemingly had come out of nowhere. I'm always interested in startup stories and particularly in the contract services space. So it's interesting to see how someone from, um, I suppose, a big pharma and big CDMO background has transitioned into being a kind of leader of a, almost a startup in, in our space, which is, which is a fascinating journey that Hans talks about today. It's really interesting in the episode, you'll hear him talk about uh, not just profit and growth, but he really he really focuses on patients and people and the planet. He actually goes into quite a lot of detail towards the back end of the episode, talking about how CDMOs and how businesses in our sector can do things at a granular level that encourage you know, sustainability, reducing carbon footprint and all that type of thing, which I think is, is really kind of on point and fascinating. Given the organization kind of focuses in a small scale sterile space, he also talks about some of the drivers behind those trends. He's actually a really interesting character and clearly a super intelligent man. And, uh, you know, I just found the conversation to flow very easily with Hans today. It was a, a pleasure meeting him and he's got a, a really fantastic story and has, has kind of opened a new chapter in his life, which is uh, a story I'm, I'm very glad to bring to your ears today. As always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it very much. We continue to be flattered by all the kind comments, all the guest requests and all that type of stuff. And if you can show your appreciation for the episode today by giving us a little rating on your app store or maybe recommend it to a friend and enjoy today's episode. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. Because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Hey Hans, welcome to the show. Hey Roman, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to great to have you here. I'm really excited to get to know you and your business and some of your background. So just to, just to start off with, 
uh, it'd be great hands to hear your kind of career history and how you ended up where you are at 1023 Health today and some of the kind of ins and outs. You seem to have a really interesting background, so it'd be great for you to, to share that with our listener. Yeah, thank you. Um, absolutely, um, my pleasure. So, um, first of all, I, I um, as you could probably pick up from my, my accent, I, I grew up in in, in Germany, so um, pretty much in the in the Frankfurt area. Um, so, I went to school there. Um, also, went to university in in Mainz, Germany, which is I think now becoming famous as as the headquarters of Biontech. But um, so this is where I studied pharmacy, um, did a PhD in, in pharmacology, toxicology, and went uh, to start my career in pharmaceutical industry in, uh, in the German Merck, KJA in Darmstadt, Germany. Um, I spent uh, quite a number of years at Merck, um, enjoyed it very much, but the opportunity then brought me uh, into Basel, Switzerland, uh, into Roche, uh, where I had the pleasure to, um, you know, start basically... Um, uh, a group and 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 the journey into into the formulation of biologics um, at at Roche. Um, I had a number of various functions at at Roche and stayed for around about ten years. Um, and and 2015, I joined um, Lonza in in Basel, where um, I was basically tasked to set up a new business unit related to Sarah product uh, business. And um, stayed on at Lonza until uh, this year in end March, um, and after having left um, Lonza, basically I got connected to to our investors and basically also took on the journey uh, to found um, and start Ten Twenty Three Health. Very good, and uh, you, you you have an incredible kind of <laughs> rich uh, history in terms of obviously just the the. The places you worked, obviously, at you know Merck and Roche and, and, and Lonza, and I also noticed uh, from your background, you've you've also had a very active role in in kind of lecturing and editing as well. Do you mind talking a little bit about <laughs> about that as well? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I I truly believe that uh, that um, you know people don't have one job. I think usually it's like people have quite a number of jobs and activities. So I do have uh, quite some some side activities. So uh, apart from my um, pharmaceutical industry activities, I've been early on starting to um, you know work on my uh, German habilitation, which is like the professorship thesis uh, that I completed at the University of Frankfurt. So I'm I'm teaching in Frankfurt um, in for. For the topic of pharmaceutical biotechnology since uh, 2003, um, and also have started teaching at the University of Basel, and it's it's great fun because you can really quite make an make an impact. Let's say for the next generation of, you know, scientists and and pharmacists um, to ignite their excitement for you know for for the things uh, that are there in the industry. And uh, apart from that, I also um, have joined. Um, uh, you know, journals uh, as editors. So um, basically, I'm I'm editor at Pharmaceutical Research. That's uh, that's uh, let's say pharmaceutical journal at Springer Nature, um, and I'm also editor at JFarmSci Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences. Uh, that is an Elsevier journal, and I also truly believe that uh, being in pharmaceutical industry, I think um, it's even more important to make sure that you stay closely connected to you know, the scientists of the next generation, but also to make sure that you're contributing to the, you know, active generation of knowledge. Um, hence, uh, I've been always have having pretty interested about, you know, publishing, um, you know, uh, 
having PhD students and putting forward papers and, and researching in areas that have not been uh, researched well enough from a pharmaceutical um, aspect. And this is also what led me into becoming an uh, editor. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting and you know, good on you for obviously paying forward and, and helping people of the next generation. It sounds like you're quite a creative person. I also um, noticed something in your in your background around uh, an interest in music <laughs> as well. And I have to ask you about uh, uh, 30 years as managing director at apricot records are you, <laughs> a, are you a, in my mind you're a, a german superstar uh singer and songwriter rock star but maybe that's me getting too carried away <laughs> okay well um yeah thank you for noticing and i, I think you've done quite uh, quite some some good research on me then um yeah interestingly enough i've been um i've been playing the guitar since uh since basically you know, being in school and I've been always playing in the band. I still play in the same band since 1993. So there must be something about this, um, about it. And uh, obviously quite enjoyable to play. And um, at the time, and <clears throat> back in the day, we started the record company in 1993. Um, we were not really finding a record company who would, who would release our music. So we basically started releasing ourselves and, um, you know, um, selling records across the globe, having quite some distribution and, um, um, you know, quite a fan base even in, in Japan and Asia. And wow. it's, um, it's still kind of fun. So there was actually a point in my, in my um, point of time in my, my career where I thought about, is it pharma or music industry? And thankfully, <laughs> thankfully I've stayed in pharma because I think the music industry has significantly changed with, you know, um, traditional vinyl records into into you know into cds into mp3s and then basically into streams and you know things like spotify and i think the the, the revenue streams being an artist or being a record company i think it's it's very very different than it was like back in the day so it it always has been a hobby um but it's been a a, a good you know a learning curve on on how to to run a business too and um it's been also great fun of of, of doing something where um you know maybe the big corporations were not necessarily interested in so rather than being on the you know independent label side and all of that and it was quite an quite a similarity i think to the pharma scene too because it's it's a quite networked sector interestingly enough <laughs> Well, it's interesting you mentioned that last point because one thing I was going to ask there, I'm always I'm always fascinated with people who have developed a lifetime habit. So obviously you, you've played the guitar for many years and that requires commitment and discipline and, and repetition and just, a, I imagine, a, a never-ending journey of, of getting better with, with your instrument. And are there, any, are there any parallels that you can bring in with your own career or even you know the current role or, or other roles that you've done in terms of that kind of sense of discipline that you have with playing the guitar that that skill has it helped you in in your career would you say as well well i think you first take the assumption that i'm very disciplined playing the guitar i'm not necessarily sure <laughs> that um that that is necessarily true um i thoroughly enjoy it to play the guitar and i would probably also say i'm not very good at it um and um i think that maybe in like the difference to like back in the early 90s i definitely have more guitars than i used to have back in the day um so i'm definitely a collector no but um i think well to me the one one very important element was always trying to make time 
and it it, it becomes it, it sounds a little bit awkward but i mean there's so much there's so many things that all of us have you know to manage day in day out um and it's like you know um, and it starts in the morning when I take, you know, my, my kids to school and then, um, you know, that's, that's work and you check your emails and then there's hobbies and there's things to do. So I think the one thing that I'm, I'm probably taken away also from, from having started playing the guitar early on is that, uh, yeah, you have to, you know, you have to keep pushing yourself on, 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 on doing it. But also, I think it's also to have the, to keep yourself in the in the in the mindset and have a mental mindset about it that you actually are um, still committed to manage all your priorities because it's easy to let go, and then um, you know to give up and um, to focus too much on work and so I think it's in the end it's it's probably about having a level of resilience and and mindfulness about how you actually manage your whole agenda uh overall that's that's probably my that would be my like the thoughts that i had in, in relation to basically music no and i think you make a terrific point in terms of obviously just making time for things you enjoy outside of work i mean i'm guessing with the career you've had and the role you have now you're a busy guy and <clears throat> obviously that you make time to take your kids to school and and you know play the guitar i think is is a great lesson for everyone in terms of just simply having balance in your life and making times for things that are that are important for you and I wanted to ask, obviously, we're going to come on to talk about, you know, 1023 Health. And uh, I mean, I, I reached out to Hans uh, for our listener when I, I think I read a story about this interesting business. And, and I looked at Hans' background and thought you looked like a really interesting character. And uh, you know, I'm pleased you accepted <laughs> my invitation to come on. And, and I'm, and I'm going to ask, obviously, about 1023 and, and ask you to talk about the business in a moment but before i do this i'm just interested to know how you found the transition from working with within you know big large organizations you know you know, you know within merck and roche and lonza these are you know, big global you know, multi-billion dollar businesses to what's effectively a startup if i've understood correctly and, and how how that's how that transition is being for you, because I imagine when you're, you're in those types of organizations, you have, you know, there's an element of security, there's an element of bureaucracy, there's an element of structure. And, and then, you know, I, from my own experience, you know, as effectively an entrepreneur or a business owner or a founder or a CEO, it, you know, you got to make it all up yourself and you've got to kind of, you know, find, make mistakes and find your own way. And, and I'm just curious how you found that transition and i suspect obviously running your own business the the, the kind of record company for 23 or 28 years has probably helped but really love your thoughts on how that transition has been for you is it as easy or as difficult as you thought it would be as has anything surprised you great question roman um so uh, firstly I, I i think um I, I I still remember the first month and years when I when I joined my first jo job and it was uh, that was in Merck after after I graduated with my PhD and um, I can tell you that was probably quite a quite a dramatic shift on 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 uh, on how you know how I felt and um, my first experience into you know a real job in pharmaceutical industry. Having said that, I remember my boss at the time um, already um, you know hired me to. You know, set up a strategy. How do we develop biologics? Uh, you know, products at the time, and Merck back in the day was basically entering biotechnology, so there was not a lot of um, uh, 
standards, there was not a lot of structure. Um, and also in the in the framework that I was operating in, um, there was not a lot of bureaucracy too. So when I came to my my my, my first uh, first manager uh, back in the day, and I asked him, "How do we do like process validation for uh, you know for sterile manufacturing?" And he said, "Well, I don't know. We haven't launched a product for a while, so uh, <laughs> go go make a suggestion, figure it out, and um, set the standard." And so that was probably how I was uh, even, let's say, um, raised in, the, in my first years in, in pharmaceutical industry. And that became almost the theme. So I had the pleasure when I was at Merck really to set set the scene on how do we do, you know, things like filter validation, process validation. How do we do formulation development, early stage, late stage? Uh, how does the specification look like for, let's say, an antibody and uh, at the time? Uh, what do we write into filing uh, for a monoclonal antibody for US, Europe, and, and Japan? So that was a very steep learning curve. And it was I was blessed to be basically um, like in the forefront of being able to decide on how it's been done. And my managers truly believed in what I did. So there was not a lot of bureaucracy I was faced with. Um, when I when I went on to Roche um, and I was brought into Roche to set up um, protein formulation development and and there was a initiative at Roche at the time which was called Therapeutic Protein Initiative to really drive biologics into Roche. So interestingly enough, there were also not a lot of standards for how to do R and D and and stuff like that. So I was again blessed to bring in. Um, a lot of ideas and there was not necessarily fixed structure on how things are done. I mean, obviously you do have uh, bureaucracy in these organizations and then, I mean, um, governance bodies and um, permissions that you have to ask left, right and center, but that's probably the system that I was kind of used to navigating. And when I, when I went into, into Lonza, the uh, CEO at the time told me, um, you know, I want you to build this and, um, you know, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Uh, so <laughs> go do it, which I think was also fantastic, um, you know, uh, kind of message to be given. Uh, so with the ability to shape things and, and do things, even if they don't fall into the, let's say, traditional standards and structure of such an organization. Uh, but but obviously, and, and I mean, obviously being in 1023 and when, you know, things are, even, I mean, there's there's even more things to decide, and there's there's a lot of autonomy. And absolutely, I mean, you you said the three magic words on security, bureaucracy, and structure. Uh, so the structure is now as we said it, and I mean, um, on our side, we embarked on a holocratic organization, which is even more like trying to go the extra mile from a traditional, let's say, permitic command and control given like typical organizational style. So we actually definitely want to take it to the next level from a structural perspective to really avoid bureaucracy. And bureaucracy is like my, my anti-word. I, I really don't like bureaucracy. And um, I mean, the one one difference that you have or possible or that you could perceive to have is, is security where you could say, oh my gosh, it's like a big company. So it gives you a lot of security uh, versus maybe a startup where, you know, uh, you have a different funding structure and a different history of the organization. I think my journey from uh, from large organizations has been pretty smooth to to be to be honest into entrepreneurship because because I, I learned all on all various elements. I was blessed with uh, a number of really good line managers uh, who had faith and 
trust in, put their faith and trust in me and basically let me do things. Um, so that was great. And um, I think the one one thing that I thoroughly enjoy now is basically, you know, we can, we can avoid any bureaucracy or, you know, let's say silly HR rules from the start um, and just, uh, you know, make the rules as we need them to be. And I was, I, so in that, in that sense, I was always a little bit a rebel. And in fact, <laughs> I don't know if you know the book, uh, Corporate Rebels. Um, it's a fantastic book and it, uh, it totally resonates with me. And there's like probably a ton of other book recommendations I have and along the similar lines, but that's, that's basically where, um, um, I think from a personality, I've been always more being more the entrepreneur kind of guy. And so, um, it was it was smoother than I actually even thought it would be. That's great, and I, it, you know, it's, I was smiling listening to you speak there when you were talking about security and the perception of security, and you know that's that's always been my thought as well. Actually, you know, someone that's run a few companies, it's I always feel like I'm in I'm in control of my own destiny to an extent, and I think that that would scare a lot of people. And that's probably the thing that puts a lot of people off <laughs> entrepreneurship, but I kind of, that, that sense of ownership is, is in, in accountability and freedom is, is actually the key. And if you can embrace it, it's a, it's a great thing. So, you know, what, great on your journey that you were able to be that rebel within these big companies, but it also led you to a path of where you are today, which leads me nicely on to ask you about, 1023 and tell us about what you do and it's a relatively new company from what i understand but it'd be great to have yeah some of the background and as a marketing guy i am desperate to know about the name <laughs> and 23 and what does that signify it, it really intrigued me it's a it's a it's an unusual name but one that really certainly appeals to me so i'm, I'm i'd love to know the narrative if there is one behind it because there often isn't <laughs> um but yeah please please let us know yeah, no, um, thanks for asking. So, so basically, I mean, maybe, maybe starting off with the company. So the, um, yes, you basically said it. We founded the company, um, uh, in, in May and basically went live, uh, and went, went to the market in September, uh, as of this year. So we're basically a company that is, let's say two months in the market. Um, uh, you could basically say, and, and 1023 Health is, um, founded and headquartered in Basel. Our focus is pretty much, the development, manufacturing, and the testing of um, sterile products across a range of, of active pharmaceutical ingredients. Um, and interestingly enough, I think most of the most of today's modern medicines are required to be injected and are kind of complex sausage forms. So this is where I think this is actually um, like can play to our strength and on the on the you know development, manufacturing, and and the testing side. And is it, um, is it clinical? Is it clinical scale at this phase uh, of your early phases, or is is it a commercial scale facility? Yeah, I mean the the key question here is what is commercial scale. But um, I, I think uh, we we can basically support customers. Um, and I'll take an example on a on a, on a biologic because it's it's usually let's say the most standard active ingredient these days. Um, uh, for, for an active uh, ingredient like a biologic, we can we can support um, our our customers from let's say anything from molecule selection when it comes to you know um, taking a selection on on which protein on which primary sequence do you wanna or which molecule primary sequence do you really wanna take further into development, then developing early stage formulation, late stage formulations, um, supporting commercialization, launch, um, and or from a for example also from a 
product, we call it product design from a drug product design perspective, like a formulation selection plus a selection of primary packaging, maybe in combination with a drug delivery device. I think these topics are also super relevant when it comes to um, so-called post post launch line extensions. So when when companies, for example, need to change their product from an you know, IV infusion to a subcutaneous uh, delivery for patient's health treatment using a, you know, patch pump, for example. Uh, these things are something we can support with also on a, on a post-launch environment. And um, I think a lot of the um, uh, the capabilities are, are, are typically also related to the manufacturing capabilities. So at 1023, we made, a, uh, we made an acquisition already at the end of October. Uh, so we basically quickly expanded our, our footprint and, and, and family and um, including a, a company uh, called Swissfilon, um, which is uh, also in Switzerland. So it's basically in, in Visp and Valle, so around about two hours away from Basel. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful fit and wonderful marriage um, because uh, like the, the formulations that we can use in early stage or that we can develop for, for later stage and, 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 and launch and line extension purposes um, uh, are what can also wonderfully be, ma- be manufactured in the Swissfilon um, Visp um, facility with capabilities like syringe filling, cartridge filling. There's like special cartridges that can go into, you know, subcutaneous um, uh, patch pumps or infuser pumps and, and things like this. And then also the um, uh, the Visp side basically has been quite, quite actively involved in more later stage programs and supporting commercialization. Having said that, I mean, uh, the scale will be always not what you maybe traditionally think of sterile dosage form scale. So, I mean, um, I think with the, with the, with trends towards smaller batches and more, let's say more personalized medicines, not even speaking about cell therapy, batch sizes typically on the sterile dosage forms become smaller. So I think facilities that can handle maybe in the range of one, uh, one liter uh, on the lowest side, uh, typically to something like 50, 100, or maybe 200 liters, are typically in the range of commercial scale where probably maybe 10, 15 years ago, people would have laughed about you for that scale uh, from a from a, from a commercial scale. So that's basically where um, we would operate early and late stage, uh, but obviously, or, and, or late stage slash commercial. And then commercial, basically, I mean, the, the scale currently is what the scale is with our current manufacturing facility. But I think that's uh, that's should be should be good enough to capture quite a number of products that are not yet in a blockbuster state. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. Because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. You mentioned, obviously, I didn't know actually you'd acquired another businesses. Uh, and I know there's a, you have an investment company that's probably uh, enabling you to to make these transactions and what what is the scale of the business today in terms of you know is it you know how many staff numbers in the combined entity and is the plan if you're able to share you know to 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 acquire more kind of like-minded companies that that will complement your current um 
capabilities or you know to organically grow with with the facilities that you got i suspect the combination is is the answer but um, yeah it'd be great to to give us some insight into the plans for the business because you're obviously in a great you know everything that you said there you know obviously being having the, the fortune of interviewing people on the podcast you know smaller batch sizes the sterile space the range cartridge filling these are these are in demand <laughs> you know high demand low supply areas of the market so i think you're in a real sweet spot to to certainly take advantage yeah no i i totally agree from the from the market dynamics and maybe also to um just to pick up maybe the first point when you say about you know the, the market being in high demand um and kind of kind of low supply obviously i there's 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 quite a number of CDMOs and um, in the marketplace, and I think there's there's probably also place for for, for all of them um, to be also clear. Um, so um, and um, from from our let's say from our position here, I mean this is also when you look at current let's say vaccine supplies, even though the COVID vaccine supplies, where you probably need something like you know two digit units of of of, uh, of containers in uh, for for supplies of you know global pandemic demand basically i think this is not going to be the the field that we will be operating in also be to be to be very clear so this is where i think on the on the lower um demand you know things like an inflammation intravitreal dosage forms and stuff like that but maybe to your to your strategy question and your, uh, your scale of the company question so i mean we did we did um we did launch 1023 health in september um, on the Basel side, we we quickly rented into uh, uh, we quickly rented a full building. Uh, Basel just very close to the um, German railway <laughs> railway station in in, in Basel, and uh, we were kind of blessed because we took over the whole building from uh, Elanco, and and Elanco previously decided to basically close the site, so we took over the whole operational infrastructure, operational labs, and basically a number of, of, of pieces of equipment as well. So we, we were able to go quickly into operations. We hired, I think, in, in Basel right now, something like 25 people. Now the whole building probably could hold something like 150 people maybe in total. So we do have a little bit of space to grow in the in the, in the current asset that we've we've rented. So um and on the um, on the on the manufacturing um, side with Swiss Finland we are right now around about now maybe 60 ish uh, people so in, in total uh we are 85 to 90 people in the company and there's i think there's quite an influx coming in in january too so we are marching towards a scale of kind of 100 people which is i think already a quite significant scale for a company that didn't didn't really exist that uh you know kind <laughs> of um six months ago um and and maybe maybe to that i i definitely think we need to be um Let's say mindful and uh, also be, you know, thoughtful about about how we grow and where we grow and the areas to grow, the geographies to grow and 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 the way we grow, because I think it's also important because we um, do want to put quite a focus on, you know, business and financials is one thing, uh, but I think our our mission is really and purpose is, is is much broader than that because I think it's it's really when we when we sat together with the initial team of you know, um, of staff and colleagues, we, we, we sat together and uh, we all were uh, or are aligned towards collaborating for healthy for for a healthy life and planet. And so that's where I focus really is like uh, our end, you know, end customer being the patient. Um, 
uh, or basically our customer's customer, you could say, but basically the final customer is is the patient. So we definitely think that we can we can contribute and make a ben- uh, you know a, a positive contribution to to patients um, from a dosage form and and product perspective about you know the safety uh, the efficacy of the product, but also how they how a patient will be able to you know use it and store it and all of that. So this is where. Also, the combination with with devices come into play, um, but also likewise on on other stakeholders, including um, people uh, and planet. And I hope we'll be talking a little bit more about that. But also from a people side, and this is why I want to mention it. I think it's very important to make sure that um, growing as a company and growing as a new company, and especially as a company um, where we have quite a you know a, a focus on on purpose, uh, a focus on on the values and 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 you know I would say on the triple bottom line and the impact that we want to make I think it's, it's very important to be thoughtful and mindful on how we grow so I think if you for example now would be acquiring ten more Sarah facilities across, across the globe that may be an interesting approach from a business and financials perspective if there were if there are targets and if we are getting that finance and all of that stuff but um, I'm not necessarily sure that would be the best strategy from a you know, from a company's perspective, uh, from a from a people's perspective, and the company. So, and I mean, yes, definitely. I mean, the the idea is still to grow, um, and we are definitely looking at um, inorganic growth. We still have a, quite some space for organic growth, as I said in in Basel. Um, we are planning towards manufacturing expansions um, in Visp, uh, Switzerland. Um, so it will be definitely both. Uh, but I would also add, it's also about partnerships. I mean, in the end, um, uh, I, I truly also believe that um, a CDMO needs to be really, uh, you know, at the forefront and, and you know, highly, not only having the assets, but being highly capable and highly experienced in the area and field of, 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 of our offering. And I mean, this is where I think one also needs to be careful that, when you grow and maybe if you grow along the value chain is that I, I think it's going to be important to make sure that you still excel in all the individual pieces. And um, this is where I think we're also looking at different partnership op- opportunities and options um, that could relate. I mean, I was mentioning devices. So obviously there's, there's, there's wonderful uh, device products. There's wonderful companies out there that, uh, that we're collaborating with or will be also in the future. And, and likewise, um, you know, all along the value chain, maybe on the drug substance side. So I think there can be can be wonderful opportunities. Uh, uh, so I mean, as as a CMO, I think it's also important that you're you know you're best at what you offer, and um, and that's where I think uh, organic growth, inorganic growth, and partnership all would be probably on quite on my agenda. Yeah, no, that's interesting kind of growth levers that you're you're looking at. And I wanted to just come back to something that you said, which I found really interesting when I was looking at 1023 in terms of, you know, having a human centric approach, but also I, I really, what really popped was the, the name, was the word planet. And yeah. that is, you know, a very topical issue for all of us right now, um, you know, with current summits that have happened in the last few months and real you know focus on uh, climate change and sustainability so i wanted to ask a bit more around that and what that means to you guys as an organization because i 
I don't see many CDMOs talking about it, and maybe with the exception of the big CDMOs, where it's part of their sustainability push or CSR kind of um, efforts, which which is great, but certainly not the smaller ones because the focus is obviously can be survival and growth and some of the things that we've we've talked about. So I'd love you to talk a little bit more around that planet kind of for, for having a purpose around planet and what does that mean in reality what does it mean for your team you know is is there is there ways that you're operating that are more sustainable is this going to be is it a differentiator for you guys as well so sorry it's about 10 questions in one there but yeah. you know it's all around <laughs> i suppose i suppose just like you know i suppose unlocking that planet piece for you guys and what it means because i think there could be some really interesting learnings for for other people that that listen to the podcast yeah, and, and thanks for, for 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 asking about that. And I still uh, still um, need to come back to that name because there is definitely a story behind <laughs> I've it. Got, I, I've got it on my. Don't worry, I've got it. On my, I, I, just, I, I just underlined it because I'm not sure you mentioned yet. So we'll come back to that. So yeah, yeah. No, I mean on the on the on the sustainability side. Basically, I had almost an um, epiphany moment also last year where I thought about you know everyone is talking disposable and and you know all the manufacturing goes disposable and it it. it it is kind of clear from the way that that you operate in pharma is that you want to operate, you know avoiding cross contaminations but i also thought a lot about you know there's quite some plastic that that we are using and then when you look even at about at, at modern um drug delivery devices look at an look at an auto injector to the most part these are disposable um or let's say single use um uh, and and contain quite a, quite a number of plastics. So I was I was you know having quite some some thoughts about uh, whether this would be actually the best best way to go forward. And that's that's why I was um, early on in the design of ten twenty three. Also, when I talked to uh, to my investors early on, uh, there was there was quite a clear um, uh, you know purpose and mission on, on on the back of my mind, saying uh, certainly I mean we are in we are here we're in here for the people and i think we definitely also want to you know set a couple of examples or provide a little bit of inspirations maybe even for other pharma and cdm also be to be also very honest where we go beyond the typical um csr so the typical you know corporate sustainability reports where um companies uh you know monitor their co2 footprint and okay and then basically they know it and then they pay pay some money to offset it which i mean it's it's typically the way and it's and it's uh obviously better to to do it that way than to not not worry about it at all um and i i i, I truly think that i mean maybe it's my bit, bit midlife crisis i'm turning 50 next year but i <laughs> I, I i you know i i have i have two 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 uh kids and i, I surely wanna 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 uh you know also leave this planet eventually at some point in time where i have the feeling that they will still have a planet that is enjoyable and where i think we've we've done our piece to to you know to leave the place um in an in in a good shape so that's where i i think also early on um you know i've been I've been actually joining Friday for Future events, and I've been I've been um, embarking on you know leaders for future, and there's quite a number of organizations that are that are driving things in the area. So I, I think in a nutshell, when when we say planet focus, I think it's it relates to uh, a combination of of fairness and of sustainability considerations, but um, 
we want that to be thought of a little bit broader than only CO2 um, um, equivalents. So, um, I mean, obviously, we, we, we also early on partnered with um, Swiss Triple Impact and, and have done an analysis uh, with them on what our focus, um, you know, sustainable, uh, sustainability development goals are of the UN. And obviously, uh, we, we registered, um, we just completed registration with the UNGC actually this week. So we're going to announce it on social media, which also relates to the fairness piece and, you know, the uh, human rights element of, of, of things. But uh, it's also trying to go an extra mile. So we, we for example, ex installed a, a, a compost uh, at the Basel site. So, um, and uh, another thing in, in Basel is basically, there is, interestingly enough, um, there is no uh, separation of plastic waste in, in the region of, of Basel or in Switzerland in general. So this is where, for example, we implement now uh, plastic separations um, and then uh, also partnered early on with an with a organization called Seven Clean Seas, whose mission is to, um, you know, collect plastic, uh, plastic trash from beaches and and from 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 oceans and from from rivers and everything, and um, they are also supporting cars, uh, companies on on how to reduce the plastic offset, uh, plastic footprint. And this is where I was thinking, you know, CO two is not all. So how do we manage our plastic um, waste? How can we reduce our plastic waste? How can we do good for you know, acknowledging that there is still is plastic waste that we we have here so obviously we want to feed it into recycling but nonetheless and this is why we partnered with the seven clean seas organization who are basically you know trying to pull plastic from this planet uh, basically and then um there's there's other activities that we have currently lined up where we're working towards um uh you know supporting our our uh, our employees basically um into into reducing their you know footprints as well so we are we are basically collecting all the information about how people commute to work uh supporting people who who come by bike or by by public transport uh let's say not incentivizing people with i mean with with business cars by no means or even with parking lots um i mean this is where i think people should be rewarded for for taking action to be more uh, sustainable um I've, I've constantly made jokes that uh if people go on business, um, uh, like into a restaurant and go on, on uh, have like business meals, then I would probably not be very happy about refunding uh, stakeholders um, invoices here because I'm not sure that that having meat or eating a lot of meat is the most sustainable uh, thing that you could do. And then we are running workshops with our team, uh, uh, and also on the on the footprint reduction for the CO two, we are now installing. Um, you know, voluntarily for people who are interested, like these um, uh, foot, footprint trackers, and then would support people with their with their CO two um, uh, offset from their private footprints. So all in all, um, I think we do have quite quite a range of activities related to to fairness, sustainability, plastic topics. To think about it holistically, um, and uh, trying, let's say, to also stimulate. Uh, various ideas for 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 you know our 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 colleagues and, and and employees in the company trying to make an impact and I tr still truly believe that the impact we make uh, and want to make uh, is um, to be net positive in all we do. No, it's, uh, to, I mean, I think there's some terrific insights there for people to to take away in terms of I suppose the the different levels in which you guys are looking to 
uh, I suppose, encourage sustainable practices and reduce environmental impact, which isn't just at a corporate level, but an individual level and collectively that, that makes kind of a difference, which I think is terrific and fair play to you guys for making that such a core part of, of who you are uh, as a business. And we're, we're, we're almost out of time. So I have a couple of final questions for you, Hans. <laughs> One, Absolutely. I'm going to ask again. <laughs> You've got to tell me about the name of 23. Um, and then leading on to that is, you know, your final question is, you know, a lot of our listeners love to get kind of pills of wisdom or, you know, little golden nuggets of, you know, trends and kind of where, where the market is going. And you've been kind enough to, to share, obviously, some around sustainability and you know, smaller batch sizes. But if there are any others that you can, can share in terms of where you see the market going, particularly kind of post-COVID, that would be, that would be a great place to, to end the conversation. Yeah, sounds good. Maybe I'll start with the name because otherwise I'll probably again forget about it. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, the, the whole branding and, and, and logo and name was basically done in collaboration with a friend of mine who, who runs a, a design company in Berlin. So we had quite a number of workshops actually initially about uh, what is important for us and, and you know, how, 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 how we want um, the company, you know, to be. And um, um, there were a couple of... Um, initial thoughts and obviously the scientific uh, connection is very important for us so this is where um, early in the game actually the idea came up from and all credit goes to moritz like the guy from the from uh from uh, like my, my friend from the uh, from the um, design and branding agency is that he came up uh, on on the relation of the avogadro constant which is uh six um, multiplied by 10 to the power of 10 to uh, 23. So it's basically the number of molecules in a, in a mole. And um, that is uh, rela the relation to the, to the company name. Interestingly enough, I've, I've, I'm, I'm asked uh, quite a bit about whether it has anything to do with alleles and chromosomes. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't mind the, the connectivity, but it, it, it really is about the Avogadro constant. And then um, interestingly enough, we also had some, some very um, uh, cool development of the logo, which then basically also goes back to the Avogadro constant and the 10 and 23. So if you look at the, uh, the 10, 23 health logo, um, uh, and it's actually fun because you have like uh, two rows of like symbols and the upper row, if you co convert the upper row into a binary, like zeros and ones, it would actually convert into a 20, uh, 23 and the lower part would convert into a 10. So it's it's conversion into zeros and ones and then basically making overlays. Um, so it's a it's a fantastic story of, of the branding. So I was... Um, no, I, lo I love it. I, I mean, I'm a, a big proponent for doing branding really well and having a meaning and then making sure that manifests itself across imagery and messaging and all that type of thing that's my uh that's my day job so i <laughs> i fully appreciate the journey and it's interesting you know even just looking at the name and the logo i kind of figured someone had put some real thought into that and you know hopefully it's something that people ask you about and yeah thanks for Absolutely. sharing and then yeah just just to finish off with you know obviously any other trends and anything you can share with our audience would be would be fantastic yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the on the market, and I would probably um, you know focus maybe on the market outside of the vaccines because I think that that by in itself is a is a quite different market. I think on the sterile um, products, um, I think the market is definitely continues to be in growth mode uh, with modalities like um, you know biologics. If you look at ATMPs like um, viral vector cell therapy, etc. 
uh, novel modalities, maybe exosomes, what have you. All of these products require to be um, to be injected. Um, I think I also mentioned previously the trend uh, for self-administration for devices, probably for home use, increasing home use, maybe to convert IV products to sub-Q and what have you. And um, I, I think also with the diversification of of, um, of uh, active ingredient modalities, like uh, I think there will be quite some some need to focus on on the formulation and the and the means of stabilization. And maybe just a, a side link uh, to to the to the vaccines. If you look at the supply chain and storage conditions of vaccines, which are basically you know frozen, um, I think this is where. Um, where actually pharmaceutical development is, is quite urgently needed to make sure that that any of such components uh, and you know include include viral vector include cell therapy products uh, there needs to be much more focus on 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 the formulation and the and the final sterile product that goes to a patient not only from a sterile manufacturing perspective but really from a product design perspective and the complexity um, that that goes alongside so that's why I, I believe that. The, the, the trend will definitely be more complex uh, molecules that require much more attention from a, from a product design perspective. No, it's a, it's a great place to end in. I think it's certainly a trend that we seem to hear kind of reinforced on the podcast with guests such as yourself in terms of the complexity of molecules and I suppose the growth in the, in the area of the market that you, you work in. And so Hans, thanks, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing uh, the story of not only your career but the exciting startup story of of ten twenty three and and you know it'll be great to see where your business goes and how you develop and you know how you hopefully become uh, a more established player in the market. Congratulations on your success to to date and yeah, looking forward to hearing the next album for sure. I'll be <laughs> I'll be searching online tonight for uh, for your best hits. <laughs> Thanks, Roman. It's been a great pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and um, looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. And we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.